hold in my hands the prize for Thursday night's trivia episode next week. <laughs> <laughs> it's next week, right? Not this week. So, uh, you, all right. You said the 17th, yeah. The 17th. So, we are bringing back everybody with the trivia. Everybody wants to know about trivia. Trivia. It's all I see in the comments. Trivia. Is this the rise of trivia episode? <laughs> Everybody's dying for trivia's return. So, um, we promised. So, Charles, I'm, I'm going to introduce you in a second. But Rob and I started this channel. Uh, it started off as basically the Catholic trivia show on this <laughs> channel. <laughs> and... What happened was uh, I asked Rob to join. He was the first guest on Trivia. He came on, and I had such a good time with him. I asked him to join the channel. And for like six months, we did Trivia every week. Then yeah. there, there was a certain point where I mean, I went away with my wife. I had this conversation, and I explained to her like the story of Christianity and was talking to her about the ancient gods that existed before Christianity. And my wife was like blown away by the story. So anybody that if you're new to the channel, if you've never watched Rob and I's Danielic mystery series, it's a two part series we did. And we kind start of off three part with Joshua Charles. Yeah. If you add in the Joshua Charles interview, the first Joshua Charles interview is really a three part series where um, we go. And the first episode is laying out what the world looked like before the resurrection, which is really it's I'm telling you it's really strange how all these different things have been happening even with the Joshua Charles interview and now talking to you with your new book The Rise of the Occult because I've really been seeing a return of these ancient gods and and ancient cult worship happening all around us and I don't think people are aware of it so once we started doing that trivia kind of fell to the wayside it disappeared and everybody's been bugging us to do trivia and Rob and I said, if we get 50 people to join our locals, we'll bring trivia back. We'll bring two people from our locals on. So we hit 50. We're bringing trivia back. All that said, now we're going to have a debate on how to properly pronounce your last name because <laughs> I know it's probably Frawny, but I don't think you're pronouncing your own name right. Yeah, we've been defending it for decades and it's wrong. You know, it should be Frauna or Fraunen. Is it German? But it's uh, Prussian, so German okay. now. Um but yeah, it used to be like, there used to be another N, so frowning. And then we Americanized it and we defended the Americanized version of it for so long. And then I realized, like, well, this is not really authentic. So, but yeah, Franny, that's the way okay. we do it. So, um, I, I, so, all right. So we're, we're going to have to jump around a little bit here. So, uh, Charles reached out to me like a month ago and he said, Hey, I wrote, I wrote another book. Um, it's coming out. Would you, would you by any chance want to, uh, have me on the show to discuss it? So, I did not read the first book. Rob did, which was this Slaying Dragons. Um, and so for the past like week, I've been just going around listening to different interviews with you on. And I'm just like blown away by the insights you've had and all the different things. So I want to know a lot more than just the new book. So can you actually take me back? Like, are you a cradle Catholic? Are you a convert? What, what What's your, uh, your faith journey in a nutshell? Yeah. So um, born... Catholic. You brought up lukewarm. And uh, from my perspective, I don't really know exactly what my parents were doing to catechize me, but I didn't soak up anything. And so when I, I hated mass, when I graduated from high school, I quit going to mass and didn't miss at all. There was no void left. Like I, I just, I never loved it, never got anything out of it, never understood it. And uh, crashed and burned around the year my, well, not the year, but when I was about 19 or 20 in this uh, major depression, crippling anxiety disorder, really big storm 
uh, you know, almost left this world essentially. It was really bad and had a big conversion right in the middle of it when I literally had nothing left to lose. Um, and rock bottom, literal rock bottom. Then our Lord did a, performed a small miracle. Someone might not think it was a miracle, but to me, there were a series of miracles that happened. Got my attention, obviously a supernatural pull because I was a pagan. As I tell the kids, I used to teach high school theology. I referred to myself when I was a kid as a hellbound pagan, like literally, that's what yeah. I was. So my conversion was miraculous. Like it was a supernatural act. And that's what most conversions are. You know, it's God Wait, can, you, can you get into those a little bit or? Yeah. Like which part? So. Yeah, I mean, I want to get, all right. So you're like, you're, you're saying you were at rock bottom. You were like in a spiritual darkness. Like you, you were suffering from depression and stuff. Yeah. So I was teased from age five until hmm, junior year in high school, whatever age that was, 17, 16, 17. Uh, everybody kind of was like maturing all of a sudden they stopped teasing me. I'm like, oh, okay. And then I became like friends with the whole school and won a lot of senior superlatives for being friendliest and funniest. But all that teasing from age five to 16, I bottled up, I internalized, um, didn't think well of myself at all, poor self-esteem and no image of God kind of concept and no Catholic theology to kind of lift me up. So then senior year of high school, it all just, you know, exploded literally into this um, stress-induced um, eating disorder, essentially, or like a food processing disorder, whatever you want to call it. Um, and then that so I almost dropped out of high school. I didn't tell my parents it was that bad. A few of my friends knew, but most people didn't know. I was just keeping it in. Got to high school. Not got to high school. Got to college. First year of college. Um, looks like the video. There we go. We're back. Okay. So um, first year of college, I you know followed all the sinful escapes of the world and masked all the problems. But beneath the surface was this brewing depression and this crippling anxiety disorder was already there, but I was masking it with all these things of the world that I won't go into all the details of. Um, but then after the first year of college, all that, all that masking, all that running, all that hiding, it caught up with me and I couldn't do it anymore. And I just collapsed and I had to drop out of college, medical withdrawal. I was paralyzed. So I had social anxiety, crippling, uh, general anxiety, uh, major depression and panic attacks. And I was put on all kinds of medicine for it for three hours before any class at high school. And sorry, I keep saying high school at college before three hours before I would go to a class. I was just paralyzed with fear. For three hours, couldn't leave the apartment. I could never go to Walmart, couldn't go to shopping, couldn't leave the house. It was really, really, really bad. And I dropped out and stayed, in, stayed at college. I should have gone home, stayed at college for three months. And three months later, uh, I was literally crying myself to sleep. That's how depressed I was. I was yelling at God, why are you doing this? Why aren't you stopping it? Like, why don't you fix this? And why are you punishing me for what? Crying myself to sleep um, for three months. And then I went home around Christmas. And that's when this big conversion happened. And to make a long story short, I had the desire, of course, hellbound pagan, no interest in Christianity, but all of a sudden had this desire to wear a small wooden cross, something that was literally worth nothing, that no one would envy. You know, I was this kind of uh, hippie-ish element. Like I, I wanted it to be just made out of plain wood. Someone just chiseled it themselves with yarn. Um, and then I go home and um, I'm home for Christmas. And then there's a place downstairs in the living room where I put my keys and my wallet and things like that. And I came down one morning and right next to my keys and my wallet, was a small wooden cross exactly as I had envisioned it. And I picked it up. I'm like, what in the world? Like, where did this come from? I didn't tell anybody. So I went over to my mom and I just couldn't even come up with a question. I was so flabbergasted. And she said, oh, we thought you might like that. And then that was, boom, the bells went off. And like, God was reading my mind. God was hearing me. God was something during that whole three months of crying myself to sleep. So my first impulse, and this is proof to me, especially the more I tell the story that God was doing it. My first impulse was I have to go back to mass. I have to go back to that thing I never liked. 
always hated, but it's calling me. I have to do it. No one was telling me. So I started going back. Now I have um, general anxiety and social anxiety disorder, and I'm going back into a public space willingly. Uh, where I was in Wilmington at the time, there was a big Catholic church. So it was, it was big. It was intimidating. And the holding hands during the Our Father, that was just terrifying. Because yeah. when you're nervous, your hands sweat, everything sweats. And you don't want anybody to know. So every week, every Saturday night, I'd go Saturday night just so I could get it over with. But so obviously there was some supernatural grace operating because I was did you, doing did things. Did you know to go to confession? Absolutely not. Totally. Wow. Clueless. Okay. Yeah. 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 Okay. So I'm committing all kinds of mortal sins here. But, but unknowingly I, so. So I think I was, I think I was invincibly ignorant at the time because yeah. I didn't know what resources to go to. So, you know. So wait, you, did your, were your parents like Christmas and Easter Catholics or were you just, you went through, you made your communion and confirmation and that was it? My mom was Presbyterian and she converted when I was a senior in high school. My dad was Catholic, uh, is Catholic, but I think he was just so stressed with work and providing for the family that he just never nurtured his faith. So we would go every Sunday. But if I could pretend that I was really, really asleep, um, and I'm <laughs> like, it, it was, I was obviously not asleep, but he was doing yeah. his best. Everything but dumping water on my head to wake me up on Sunday. Uh, then we would just not go. But that was rare. But we didn't, so we would, we would go every Sunday. Okay. Um, but we didn't pray before meals. And it was not taught the rosary, not really taught the morals and things. That was just yeah. a typical Catholic. And, and they were just following the culture, you know. Uh, eventually, my mom converted because she saw at mass the ritual. She wanted this ritual. Yeah. It actually plays into my book. You know, the importance of ritual it drew her. But her conversion and her conversion was so powerful. She went from being just kind of anxious or just uh, I don't really know, just not happy, not at peace. Flipped overnight. And my brother and I both one day were remarking like, "Mom's different since she became Catholic." Like, what is that? But I didn't get it. Didn't care. Didn't process it. Didn't put two and two together. Until years later, when I had my own conversion, I realized, like, wow, I, I saw this happening to my own mom, this peace infused into her when she converted. Um, but yes, yeah, so I think, as, as my brother would say, like our parents nurtured a lot of good values and virtues in us, which I think God used uh, yeah. to like light the fire once it was time. So all wasn't lost. OK, so you so you're back at mass now not really understanding even what you're doing. You're sneaking in on Saturdays, but you, you had the little small miracle with the cross and you get yourself back to the mass. Okay. So, so pick up from there. Okay. Yeah. I haven't told this story in a while, so it's good. Um, and really all of this was work. God, God's plan, as I can see now was put, was working me towards what I'm doing now. Like it all yeah. fit in. So I go back the small miracle. Got to go back to mass. I go back to mass. I'm seeing a therapist at the time, obviously, hopefully I was at the, uh, and she was an atheist who tried to sow doubt in me about the authenticity of the Gospel of John. How about that? Why would you do that to someone who's, you know, depressed? A therapist. Therapist. But yeah, I think it was just small talk kind of thing. Yeah. But I'm like, okay, so so she so she's an atheist. Um, so two weeks after I go back to Mass, I go visit her. And she said, oh, good news. She had been putting me on uh, anxiety medicines that weren't working. I was like having weird dreams. I'm like, I need off. This isn't working. I need something that helps now. Like I have problems. So she said, Oh, good news. I just found a, just found a medicine. So she's been practicing for like 10 years or longer at this point, just found a medicine that I've never heard of before. Okay. So that's, that's a, you know, a lot of bells went off that has the miraculous side effect. Oh, she's an atheist. Why would she say that of controlling the, the digestive and eating disorder that had come with the anxiety and controlling anxiety and depression and social anxiety. Like it's a mild impact on a whole bunch of things that I was suffering from. 
So was the, it, was the eating overeating or undereating? Undereating. Okay. Yeah. So like my body could no longer digest food properly okay. because of the anxiety. And then that caused me to be afraid of eating certain foods, which, and I was already skinny. And so I lost yeah. like 20 pounds from age 18 to 20. And that's, that's the reverse course, you know? Yeah. So I was in a, in a bad way. And people, my family who saw me during that time, they told me later, decades later, like, yeah, we were scared when we saw you, like you looked bad. Uh, and I, it was, they never told me that probably a good yeah. thing. They didn't tell me, but so I, that she put me on this medicine and, and the whole, well, the whole game changed. It, it didn't take it all away, but it gave me a grip, gave me a hand. I'm like, all right, maybe there's, maybe there's a way out of this. Eventually she put me on all these other medicines. Uh, one being uh, something like Clonopin. It was like the immediate yeah. anxiety re reliever. And once I started figuring out how to use it, because I was going back to college now, took a year off. I started taking summer classes just to get back in. She told me how to use it. I'd take it right before you go to a class, right before the trigger of anxiety, because I didn't know how to use it. When I did that and I would go to class, I'm like, I'm not anxious. This is weird. What's happening? I never ever, I was anxious essentially since I was like six years old. Yeah. I just never labeled it. I never thought I could be happy. Never thought I could be peaceful. And this, this medicine showed me it's possible. And then immediately God essentially spoke to me and said, I can do it for you. Let me do it. And then I told her I went off. It wasn't a voice or anything like that, but it was yeah. infused. It was strong. I said, I went off everything. I went off all the medicines. She said, okay, well, slow down, slow down. You get it. Some of them, you know, you get you attached to. Off. Yeah. yeah. So she said, let's make a program, see how you do. So it took about like six months to get off everything, including that first one, which was very mild. Didn't have many side effects. But when I got off that last one, I realized I'm flying solo, except for the grace of God, like no medicines anymore. And then it was like conversion 2.0. I was introduced to St. Francis, Mother Teresa, the whole idea of divine providence. Yeah. When I heard the idea of divine providence, I'm like, wow, God loves us that much? Really? Like he wants to provide everything we need? Like it was just too good to be true. Yeah. But it was true. Like this was, and so that was conversion 2.0. And then I met all these, um, all these, I was in a discernment group. Um, again, it's kind of a ridiculous thing. My, I, I wanted to be a priest. Yeah, I left that part out. When I went back to mass, the beginning of this whole thing, first thought, I'm a pagan. I don't know what the Eucharist is, but first thought was, I want to be a priest. Wow. <laughs> what is that? <laughs> so I told my mom and six months later, when things were actually kind of bad, I was in the middle of like all the medicines, like the high point of all those medicines, but things were moving forward spiritually. I told my mom because they were really worried about me. They came down. And uh, yeah, yeah, good. a lot of people can relate to, to the story, um, but they came down because a friend of mine saw how bad I was, a college friend, called, looked my parents up on the internet. This is 2001. Uh, you're 2000. So internet's not big. How, how old are you? I'm 43. Okay. So you're, you're about a year or two older than us. Okay. Oh, me. Rob's, Rob's a baby, but I'm, I'm, I'm 41. So I'm not your age. Come on. Rob's 27. All these youngins. No, I'm not 27. <laughs> That's funny. 34. You and I are around the same age. So yeah. So 2000. Yeah. Um, but, but even just jumping into the, the, the anxiety and stuff like that, like, I think for people that don't have, um, that don't suffer from any kind of anxiety or anything like they really can't understand it, but anxiety can be crippling. Like I have family mm -hmm. members that deal with things that um, whether it's um, bipolar disorder or uh, I have a brother who really has severe hypochondria. Like he is so afraid that he's going to die all the time. Mm -hmm. Like anxiety is such a crippling thing that for God to really take that away had to feel like, like you're saying it's a little miracle, but that had to feel like such a life changing experience for you. Yeah, it was. 
It was, so my, my counter was the way I referred to it for a long time was it's too good to be true, but it is true. Like the power of God, his desire to share it, what it can do. It was like a fairy tale that was actually playing out in my life. Um, so it's, that was why I wanted to be, that was one of the motivations behind being a priest. Like before yeah. I, he didn't even take the anxiety away before he gave me the desire to be a priest. But once he took the anxiety away, even when he was hinting at it, when I knew it was potential before it was even there, I'm like, I can sense what God's doing. Yeah. I want to be a priest so I can share this with the whole world. So I had a false motive to be a priest, which is mm -hmm. why I never got ordained because I eventually figured that out. It took about nine years for me to figure out that he wasn't calling me to be the were you, to be Were a you priest. in seminary? You joined seminary? Yeah. So oh, I wow. went, uh, see, so 2000 had my conversion, 2001 conversion 2.0, got back into college. And then 2002 um, fall, I entered a seminary program with the Diocese of Raleigh and I did a pastoral year. And then I they didn't think I was ready to go, which even though I disagreed with them strongly on a whole bunch of points, they were right. And yeah. I didn't want to admit it at all, but looking back, they were right. I was a broken mess and I couldn't see it, but they could. So I took a year off and my mom actually passed away during that year. And I was wow. home with her and my dad. And that was again, a gift from God because we didn't know it was going to happen, but uh, she did have cancer. So I was with her, you know, up until the end. And then I did another pastoral year with a great priest friend of mine who is, super holy, re renowned through the diocese, and then had this crazy idea prompted by St. Joseph to go back to the diocese, even though I didn't want to, but I felt super prompted. Like it was the closest thing to, to hearing of the voice of a saint, like this, yeah. this, this experience I had. And it, it, for three days, I'm like, what was that? And eventually I realized with the help of this priest, I'm supposed to go back to the diocese. So I did, and they didn't accept me again. So I'm like, all right, I'm out. But then we got a new bishop. He said, give me one year and I'll send you. So I waited a year and he sent me. So I was in the seminary for a year and a half, but I was in the program. What was it for like uh, seven years? I was discerning for nine total, but a year and a half actually in the seminary. And it was, it was the seminary experience itself that clarified so much, like took away the, a lot of spiritual healing, yeah. the, re the remainder of the depression and anxiety, because it lingered, it lingered for like nine years. It really took nine years for complete healing from all that, that, that damage. But in the process, Jesus made it very clear. I'm not calling you to be a priest. You love the priesthood and that's great. You want to be a priest, but I don't. <laughs> so yeah. uh, once he told me, I'm like, wow, like, uh, that's great. I just want to know the answer. You know, I'm going home now. <laughs> See ya. But the seminary provided such unique experiences that, you know, yeah. it's great. So, so you got out, um, hang on one sec. So Donna, uh, Donna, what town are you in? Um, because she's on Long Island. Uh, she's asking if she's looking for a Latin mass on Long Island. Um, just let me know what, what area. I mean, you don't have to say like exactly where you're from. If you let me know where you are, I could tell you that there's a couple of Latin masses on Long Island. There's, there's um, one in Dix Hills at St. Matthew's every other week on the first and third of the month. Then St. Rocco's in Glen Cove has every Sunday. Uh, Sable, you're, you're probably closest to St. Matthew's. And actually, there's an SSPX in Farmingville. So if you're in Sayville, I would say the SSPX is the closest, but St. Matthew's is where I go. I'm I'm not too far from you. So yeah, Farmingville is like uh, Portion Road over there. So I didn't mean to stop stop the show short, but I'm always <laughs> no, it's, it's it, funny I always watching this thing play out. I always want to make sure people that are looking for a Latin mask can find one. So I'll help you towards yeah. the end of the show. So okay, so you have this uh, conversion experience. You're you you leave the seminary. How old are you when you leave seminary? It's 2008. So I think I just turned two, 29. 29. So, okay. So you got out now. How, uh, you're married now though, right? 
Yeah. So I marriage was really heavily pressed upon me as I was discerning out and I stayed an extra semester just to make sure I wasn't, you know, yeah. discerning going after marriage versus discerning. Um, but yeah, so I met my wife four months after I left with mutual friends connecting us. Like I didn't have to look. It was very much divine providence. It's like once I realized what God wanted me to do, which was not the priesthood, but marriage, all the doors swung open. Everything fell into place for years to come. It was great. It was divine providence all over. How'd you meet? How'd you meet your wife? Yeah, great story. Like there are some details to our story that merit a book. Like some <laughs> things that were happening behind the scenes by angels and divine providence that were like, whoa, really? Same day? Like, okay, interesting. Um, but so I was, uh, I went home back to Wilmington. That was my like my second home, and I had all these friends, all these Catholic families who knew me because I spent a lot of time there. And then when I got there, they're like, okay, let us know when you're ready. <laughs> Cause they were going to try to hook me up with someone. I'm like, mm, not yet. I've been celibate, you know, for like nine years. I don't know what dating is. I don't know how to do that. Um, so I, I sat around, just kind of got a job, worked odd jobs for about three months. Then I met one of them. I was like, okay, I think I'm ready. And then they sent me with one person and that didn't work out, but it was, you know, she's a, a uh, she's very nice, but obviously just didn't work out. And then a good couple friend of ours uh, met her at the parish and as soon as they met her, they're like, ah, like the alarm bells went off. Like, this is the one. They So they tried to press and press and get the number for me. And my wife, like, never gives out her number like that. But yeah. but she did. She's like, for some reason, she felt an impulse to, to trust this. And she trusted the couple. They're a very good couple. Uh, but then it was Holy Thursday. So we, I not called her. I took my time. It's kind of a funny thing. I never called her for like a week after I had, my, had her number. But, you know, I don't know what to do. I don't know what the rules are for dating. Um, so Holy Thursday comes after the Holy Thursday mass, they have the temporary adoration being set up. We're in the gathering area. It's going to be set up over there. I met the couple. I'm like, do you know if she's here, you know, and do what parish does she go to? And, and they're like, I don't know. She's, she's new to the area. So I'm like, oh, well, so then I knew the priest, former seminarian. He's like, can you watch one hour for me while I go eat? And then I'll come back and, and man the adoration chapel for the rest of the evening. I'm like, oh, that's symbolic. You know, watch one hour. Yeah, watch one hour. <laughs> <laughs> Happy to do that. So I, I just knelt and was praying and she was there. And I didn't know. I didn't know what she looked like. And she got up and walked past me and saw me and took note of me, as she said. She's like, oh, you know, he's cute kind of thing. But didn't know it was me. And then she went out and saw the couple. And they're like, you walked right past Charles. You didn't know it. So then they came back in with a note card, put it next to me. And it said, you know, I won't use her name on the air, but but she's she's outside if you want to meet her. And I looked at the card and I looked up at our Lord. I'm like, I think you did this. Uh, so, <laughs> wait, 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 How many people can great? say they met their wife at adoration? Like, you, like that is such an <laughs> unbelievable story. I met my wife at adoration. Like you literally got introduced to your wife by Jesus Christ himself. <laughs> Like yeah. you can't beat that story. That's amazing. Yeah. Further detail. I, I try to hold back some details, but people like to hear how, how, uh, how great this are, like the great these things are. When I was praying, I was praying with my eyes closed, so I didn't see her, but I was daydreaming. I do this a lot. Hopefully our Lord doesn't mind, but I daydream when I pray, but I was daydreaming of a girl being in the adoration chapel of, of her, this, this one, my, my future wife being in the adoration chapel and walking past me and leaving the adoration chapel with my eyes closed. And that was happening in reality. And I was clueless. But you see, it was like my angels so was really... You know Listen, I got to tell you, I have the most romantic story. When I met my wife, the first time I met her, um, I said to her, when you get your braces off, you're going to be really hot. 
That's literally the first thing I said to my wife. We were 13 years old. She had braces. And I said, when you get those braces off, you can be really hot. My wife still remembers it to that day. She's disgusted with me for it. And she hates when I tell it on air. (laughs) So, yes, you have a much more romantic, lovely story than I have. So, um, yeah. Yeah, go ahead. So it was neat, too, because the... The gathering area had a glass wall. So the temporary chapel, I could leave the temporary chapel and still see our Lord. So I'm like, well, I could step out and I'm still protecting him because I can see if anything goes wrong. I can talk to her at the same time. Like, well, that's nice. Um, So, yeah, everything just moved from there. That's pretty awesome, man. Very cool. So, um, all right. So so, uh, how long before you guys got married? Was Was it a very short engagement, dating? I wanted it to be, but ended up being... Let's see, we met in April. We got married January 1st, the next year. So it was a year and a half, longer than we okay. wanted. But no, that's a know. lot faster than most people push it. I mean, <laughs> I mean, I had no money, no career, no job. We, we thought maybe I should wait just a little bit just to get some of those together. Just to her dad. It's amazing how God provides, right? So, that, so yeah. what made you decide you wanted to be an author? Well, uh, it's, uh, I really, you know, I guess I shouldn't hate to credit divine providence all the time, but so I, I that's just the reason. I started writing when I was 12, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. So I don't know if you ever saw that, but he kept a grail diary. I'm yeah. like, ooh, that's cool. Yeah. What's the grail? Like, so it was very, you know, Catholic myth- mythology kind of mo- movie. And I was, you know, kind of a nominal Catholic at the time when I was like 13 when it came out. But I'm like, I want a grail diary. I want to keep a diary. I want to go on these adventures. So I started writing stories around the age of 12. And I remember I had like a very developed like sci-fi story when I was in a senior in high school and I accidentally threw it away at the end of the school year with all my other notes because I didn't want them anymore. I'm like, wait, I threw away the whole story. It was like 30 pages, like character development, everything. Um, so then when I had my conversion, I was introduced to uh, Lord of the Rings. I started writing a, a spoof of Lord of the Rings. Like whatever my imagination was go, I kept a journal for 10 years, like almost a daily entry in my journal after my conversion because a friend of mine prompted me. It was a spiritual journal. Mm-hmm. And it was great. Uh, so I'm writing all the time. And then when I got my master's, so after I met my wife, um, I got my master's while we were engaged. And then after I got married, around that time, I was working on it. And then I got the, the job at the high school, which we can talk about. But right after I got the master's, like, I, I love studying. And the studying was over. I got my master's. And, like, I want to do more. So I started working on, especially while teaching high schoolers, I realized that like, they don't know this. Parents don't know this. People don't know this. So I was working on, like, five books at the same time. And none of them ever finished because that's too much. Like I was getting up at 3.30 doing research, writing, and then going to school to teach. It was great because we didn't have any kids yet, so we had all this free time. Um, but oh, then, those are such nice days. <laughs> yeah, I know. When you're together with no kids, it's such freedom. You get to go and do <laughs> things with your girl. So nice. <laughs> so, so that's when it really hit this point. But then it, it died. It stalled, the writing. until and the, So Slaying Dragons has a great origin story great genesis like let me hold it that way um i hit so i started writing around 2012 around 2017 i think it was i hit a spiritual obstacle and that's that's all i could call it this blockade i felt like i could not become any holier than i was and like what is that this is the weirdest feeling i've ever had in my life why can't i become any holier this is strange and thankfully, as a former seminarian, I love priests. I make friends with priests everywhere I go. I'm now in a different diocese from my home diocese, but I've met a whole bunch of them. So I start talking to them, like, what should I do? So they suggest Exodus 90, and which is, and I had to modify it because my wife, uh, you know, with low budget, so she controls all the, 
what we eat and stuff. So I couldn't yeah. figure out like no meat. I couldn't really control that. And we we're doing it with a bunch of high school boys and they're lazy. So we had to change the rules a little bit. So what I ended up doing is fasting a lot. Like I mm -hmm. lost 20 pounds again, kind of like when I was uh, 18 for, for bad reasons. Now I'm, I don't know how old I was, you know, 37 for good reasons. Accidentally, I lose 20 pounds because I'm fasting so much. I was dizzy at the end of the 90 days. I don't recommend that, but yeah, but I, what I was doing, I was seeking something spiritual and fasting is the most powerful way to obtain spiritual gifts from God. This is the teaching of the church, doctors of the church, fasting, you got to do it. And I was desperately searching for something. And then one thing led to another from this. I did all these prayer things from priests uh, that they recommended. And then I was introduced to the teachings of Father Ripperger and I watched all of his videos. And I'm like, it was like drinking from a fountain of just like wonderfulness. Yeah. And that sparked it. Could you give that to the writer who's seeking something spiritual and loves to write and take notes and is just binging on all of these exorcist books and videos? And then out popped slaying dragons. Like that's how Father Ripperger is, is such a game changer for so many <laughs> people, right? Like in, in your fit, like it's like you, you learn about Catholicism and you get all that, but then all of a sudden you come across Ripperger and it's like, Whoa, what? Wait, why was I never taught any of this? Yeah. This is crazy. Like even Rob and I were discussing the other day, Rob, what was the, how to raise a man? I think we were saying, right? Yes. Like One how to raise a man. Greatest videos. So yeah, so I have a, I have yeah. my brother-in-law. Um, so my, my wife was um, uh, born and raised Lutheran, and her sister's husband was he really doesn't even know the basic story of Christianity, but he sees the way I'm raising my family. He's been asking me a lot of questions, like a lot, like so. Like I started talking to him, and like I was talking to him about Judas and stuff. He's like, "Wait, who, who's Judas?" Like I'm like, "Wait, you don't know anything about this story, <laughs> huh?" So Rob was the one who suggested. He goes, "You should give him the Father Ripperger talk, how to raise a man, because that was such a like a life changing talk for so many people. He's just like earth shattering when you learn some of the things Ripperger says." Did that come out uh, 2017, 2018? Do you know? I feel like that's the first one I was introduced to. I, I mean, it was yeah. the first one I listened to, and it was. Yeah. And then you just go on like a Ripperger binge, and then you're just <laughs> looking for anything you can. I mean, he just did one recently on evolution that was amazing. He's just uh, he's just so brilliant the way he lays things out. We had Father Ripperger on a, a couple of weeks ago, like that that whole that whole uh, the sense the, all the priests on census fidelian Father Wolf, all those guys. Like mm -hmm. it's just like it's. It's like you were how to raise a man came out in 2014. 2014. Oh, how about wow. that? Yeah. So yeah, it's like you were getting Catholic light, and then all of a sudden you get plunged into real Catholicism when you find those guys. Yeah, because uh I was like when I was watching his videos, I'm like, what is this? Like, I have a master's in theology. I was in seminary for the program, you know, for nine years. I'm teaching high school theology, and I haven't heard of half of this stuff. Like, yeah. how does that happen? But it was so refreshing. These were all the things I needed to hear. Like when I first started giving talks to Slaying Dragons, I kept emphasizing there were four aha moments when yeah. listening to his videos. One of them related to anxiety. Like I had a literal fear of demons, like the total opposite of how it's supposed to be. Like yeah. I was afraid. I'm like, why shouldn't we be afraid of them? They're these wild spiritual, they're demons. Like, shouldn't we be afraid of demons? And the answer is no, like not at all. Like they can't touch you if you're in a state of grace. Like, like yeah, if you're a baptized Catholic in a state of grace, there's really yeah. not much to worry about unless you They're open afraid yourself of you. up to it. Yeah. Yeah. Unless you open it. And then of course that's, that's why I wrote the second book, the rise of the occult, because so many people are in a state of apostasy really 
And they're opening themselves oh, up. Holy cow. I haven't heard from Jake Tate in so long. Where have you been, Jake? We got to talk. I'm going to tech. I'm going to call you after the show, Jake. I haven't talked to you in a very long time. Um, yeah, we do need to raise more priests like that. So, all right, man. So you, so you stumble across Ripper and then slaying dragons comes about now the like, I'm really seeing around us. I mean, I gave a talk in Chicago at the canceled priest conference discussing this stuff, like, especially with all the rainbow stuff going on. Mm. Rob, play the video of the DJ priest, even though everybody's seen it at this point, because every single Catholic YouTuber has played it at this point. We really, we started up a little bit of controversy searching yeah. for this DJ priest uh, the past couple of days, but um, Charles and I both were in this thread, and it's just amazing when you see the imagery in this thing. Yeah. Like, the imagery here, and and the, the thing is, like, it does have a lot of carnival imagery, and we did an, a Halloween episode where if you properly order um, Halloween, like, there are ways to actually, like, we do dress up as death to mock death, things like that, but I, I want to get into this a tiny bit because, can you play it, Rob? Yeah, ready? Yeah, go ahead. So, um, so I tweeted that out and I said, I think I said something along the lines of you would think after Pachamama, we wouldn't be surprised that people are defending demonic stuff, you know, things mm -hmm. like that. So that wasn't even the, the worst version of the video I've seen. Yeah, there's, there are worse. So the thing is mo almost 95% of the people that saw that jumped in and they were like, this is crazy. I can't believe a priest is doing this. But then I did have uh, two, two prominent people, which one was Trent Horn and the other was Chris Stefanik. Um, uh, Trent Horn defended the priest and Chris Stefanik actually said uh, the, where we get thurbles from was paganism. They used to be used to offer sacrifice to, to Zeus and things like that. So if we got rid of this, we'd have to get rid of the thurible and things like that. Now, my, my point is when the early church incorporated some of these pagan elements, they weren't really incorporating pagan elements. They were baptizing pagan elements. So they would, they would go in and see a culture and they would take something that was pagan and say, okay, let's strip away everything that's bad and we'll baptize it and make it Christian. What I see going on here is just a priest DJing at a rave wearing a Roman collar. And I don't see him baptizing this thing. I see paganism paganizing the church instead of the other way around. Yeah. Yeah. Like the, even one of the things I noticed in that video was immodesty and just, and the, the music itself is driven towards disordered passions. So you, mm -hmm. you have this, this pounding and then this immodesty like that's, that's not Christian. Like you could have, you could try to defend the carnival thing, the, mocking death thing but the the video so i want i wanted to see if there's any behind the scenes videos like the actual like if you were there in the crowd what would you have seen because obviously this is a compilation of things with mm -hmm. musical over but it, it's on his youtube so he's presenting yeah. himself as, as this regardless of what the event was and like when that man has his arms up arms out walking on the catwalk and the fire's shooting up like what's what's the point and then you have the priest leading it all like it's an inversion 
of of the faith. It's a mockery of the faith. That's what it is. It's not a mockery it really of death is. and paganism. I, I almost think him wearing the collar, not only is it not not only is it not baptizing this thing, it's mocking our faith a bit. And I, I feel like so we're gonna have Trent on on Tuesday. Trent Horn actually, I mean, look, he was very he was very cordial about it. And and I think that there's room for us to have a conversation on this topic without it devolving into us getting it. Like I really I'm I'm genuinely interested to see his point of view on it. Because I really think like our Catholic sensibilities are so desensitized at this point, mm -hmm. right? And right. it's like, I know for me, really my senses got heightened when I started attending the traditional mass. Because when you start seeing liturgy properly ordered, it's it's less shocking to go from the Novus Ordo to the Latin mass than it is to go from the Latin mass back to the Novus Ordo. Like that's when you start going, whoa, wait a minute, this is wrong, this is wrong, this is wrong. So I feel like people have been so desensitized from the things that they've seen over the past 50 years that when they get jolted into something like this, their immediate instinct isn't offense to pious eyes. It's let me defend this thing. Right. Just because everybody feels like they can defend everything for some reason, like everything's available. Um, nothing's bad. It's, it's really this like the spirit of deception, the spirit of believing lies, which will come at the end times. I, I really think we're, we're tasting that either it or a type of it because the, mm -hmm. what, what people want to defend, like, like, like the culture with the whole drag queen thing, like defending that, the story, the, the library things. Uh, one, one thing that comes to mind when talking about Harry Potter, Harry Potter is a very complicated conversation. But one thing I like to emphasize is that one bad thing about Harry Potter is that it was written and introduced to children in a post-Christian paganized world. Yeah. If I had gotten my hands on Harry Potter, and you've heard a little bit of my story, when I was a kid, I would have gone straight into the occult because I wanted that. I was already interested in the occult. I didn't think it was real. I, I didn't know much about it. It was not around. It was not hip and popular like it is now, like yeah. it was in the early 90s, I think it was when Harry Potter came out. So kind of like this, this video, like the faith is dead in a lot of the parts of the world. And you introduce that with a priest leading it as if it's and integrating the Ave Maria. And you want, I mean, people, like I mentioned it in Twitter, like some, some occultists utilize the Our Father in their occult rituals. Mm -hmm. Just yeah. because you put the Ave Maria in there doesn't mean a thing. Like, it, it could mean it could mean make it worse. Yeah, it's like not that it, not only does it not sanctify it, it could, it could be desecrate like it, it. Yeah, it's so so. Like I, I just feel like we've lost all our Catholic sensibilities to the point where like we don't even have a census fidelium anymore. Nope. Yeah, and that's uh, that's very very alarming. And chapter four of my book. Um, I have quotes from Cardinal Burke, Cardinal Mueller, and Cardinal Seurat on the state of the church. And Cardinal Burke, I tweeted a couple of these in the last hour, just because I was looking over it and like, wow, that, that's, that's one, that's one, that's one. Cardinal Mueller, I think it was, said that the German hierarchy, who's embracing the LGBT stuff, like has embraced a neo-Gnostic mythology. So that's, that's the occult. He labels it as they've gone into it the It definitely occult. is. And then you have Cardinal Burke who said the church, the world is, has never been more in need of the voice of the church, but at now the church doesn't even know who she is anymore. So when she meets the culture, she doesn't know her mission, her identity. And you can see that in these criticisms of uh, like World Youth Day, different pieces, and this this video from the DJ Priest. And 
just what the church is doing in a lot of places of the world. Like she doesn't know who she is. It's just this big fog, big confusion, big spirit of believing lies is happening. So much of it is because I really think, um, I really think that so people commit the sin of Judas on such a mass scale now where they're receiving in a state of mortal sin that their, their, their intellects are so darkened at this point that they really like, you guys really have to understand how how disordered your intellect gets when you're not in a state of grace. Mm -hmm. And then if you believe that you can receive in a state of mortal sin, you've compromised a whole, all sorts of, of theological points and doctrine. You compromise your faith too. If you're conscious of this, and a lot of people are conscious, like the Amoris Laetitia fallout, all that, you know, more moral, poor moral logic that's being forced onto the church. You, you then you almost feel like your guilty conscience won't allow you to defend what's good, true, and beautiful later because you've already compromised about what is true. So why are you going to stand up for what is true and beautiful? So, so you you came back in obviously through the Novus Ordo because that's probably all that was available to you, right? Like, there's no way you still attend the Novus Ordo. No, not now. So, I can, t- uh, I can tell right. just by the way you talk. Like, there's no way you do. It's it, like, it wouldn't sustain me. Yeah. So yeah thankfully, yeah. We got it, it in how, our diocese. How did you find it? Like, what, 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 what was your, what was your journey toward finding? That? So, guys, like, when we talk about this stuff, it's like I, I'm, I never want anybody that attends the Novus Ordo to think like we're, we're in any way like, like some, some people. That's all you have available to mm-hmm. you, and it's just. But when, I, but I attend almost weekly. Yeah, Rob goes to Novus Ordo. It's, ju- yeah. it's just. I always want to share like the the light bulb that went off in me when I started going, and it's like especially with the pan uh with when in 2020 when 2020 mm-hmm. came around like if i wasn't attending the traditional mass i don't think i would have had the courage to like stand my ground with the the mandate that came out like it was something like like yeah. maybe masculine to say i am putting my foot down with this you know and it, it was just I, I really think it was so radically changing it radically changed my spiritual life the traditional mass yeah so i was yeah, brought up Novus Ordo, came back Novus Ordo. Um, of course, God can obviously work through that as he did with yeah. me, he does for a lot of people. And then as I w- went into the seminary program, I got to know priests who were all, who loved the traditional Latin mass. And they started telling me about it. And actually the first mass I ever attended, because I, I attended, maybe I attended a low mass here and there, but it was for, I was MC number two for the uh, first Latin mass ever in the Diocese of Raleigh after 40 years at a church, St. Joseph's, I think it was. I can't remember, St. Joseph's Feast Day at um, Our Lady Perpetual Help. But I was the second MC, and I had only been to one low mass. They trained and trained and trained and trained, and it was flawless. It was so well orchestrated, and the symmetry, the beauty, like it was overwhelmingly wonderful, something I'd never encountered before. And then it disappeared. That's essentially the only one I went to for years. But then 2020, so everybody, you know, quits going to mass because they shut down the churches. And then um, our pastor took op- took the opportunity, seized the opportunity to take one of the mass times and flip it to the Latin mass. It was in the works already, but it was just perfect because you know attendance was down. No one's going to revolt. So he flipped the uh, the main mass like at eleven thirty, and we started going. My wife had less exposure to it than I had, but she was even more than me. She was like, "We can never go back," you know. To the to okay, the I love getting into this, Rob. Like. Uh, you too. Like, how did Hope react to her first traditional mass? She reacted more positively than I did in my first. Okay, so and and you're saying, uh, Charles, your your wife enjoyed it the first time. 
Yeah, I, I had coached her and you know, told her how to like just relax, just watch and see because I'd, I'd been more than she had in the past. Uh, but she liked it, yeah, from the get go. So, all right. So, my wife, um, my God bless me with a wife who follows my lead wherever, like she always has. Like, even I, I, there's just been so many scenarios where my poor wife had to deal with my ups and downs through my, my roller coaster ride of a faith journey. But the first time I took her, she was like very lost. She thought it was beautiful. She loved the music, but she didn't feel very comfortable. I would say it took a little while for her to really feel at home to the point where she wanted to wear a veil, right? Like she was very mm. hesitant to want to wear a veil. She did it because I asked her to, but it was almost like she did it gritting her teeth, you know, and it took a little time for her to really. And now it's like, she's, she's fallen in love with it and she could never go back either. So I, I always find it interesting to see women's reaction to it. Cause I always think that, at first, they're a little hesitant, but there's something attractive about the masculine nature of the traditional mm. liturgy. The The first mass I ever brought my wife to at all, she was raised Baptist, non-denominational Baptist sort of thing, um, was the an Easter vigil, Novus Ordo, at the Cathedral of St. Paul here in Minnesota. And she loved it. Um, you know, it was it was beautiful, it, it, great music, great uh, all in all, just just a, a pretty good Novus Ordo liturgy. Um, but then uh, subsequent masses we went to, Novus Ordo masses that weren't, you know, like that that Easter Vigil liturgy, um, felt pretty empty to her. And it wasn't until mm. she fought, saw her first uh, Latin mass where she really she you know to her it was like, well, this is actually Catholicism. This is what I converted to. This is what I was looking for. Whereas all the previous, you know, most of the Novus Ordo liturgy just seemed a lot like what she was used to. Yeah. Yeah. I noticed with the kids, you know, we have, we have four kids. Uh, I'm trying to think. That was three years ago. Um, how, how they're all. You, how many years you married? Uh, what are we on? Almost coming up on 12, I think. Okay. Yeah. Anthony, so you got to stop uh, asking people that question because that could be a dangerous question. <laughs> How many years has it been? Um, but yeah, so they, their reaction. Uh, so I noticed both uh, their reaction and my reaction to the, the mass. Because when we first came out at our parish, we would occasionally have to go to the Novus Ordo just because we where we lived and yeah. how the kids sleep was. Sometimes we had to go to the earlier one. But the, the kids' behavior was drastically different. At the at the traditional at mass, they were focused. They were like pulled in it, by something. It's, all, it's almost like an, a, a, they can sense, oh, wait, I'm the, I have to be. Like they can sense yeah. it, like right? Like they can sense there's something sacred around it. It's a strange thing, but it's it's it really is so like I, when I when I saw everybody defending this stuff today, it's like those same people will defend liturgical abuse, they'll defend the Eucharist getting handed out like a cracker at World Youth Day. It's like people have been so desensitized that they're not offended by sacrilege and the profanation of holy things and it's really upsetting to me now when you when you were writing this book and you and you're talking about the rise of the occult like was there things that popped out at you that you were like oh man like this is this like people are not realizing what we're seeing here but this is because you're seeing it everywhere throughout the entire culture and i really think the the fact that so few people are in a state of grace and that so few people even recognize what these ancient rituals look like that they think they're just doing cultural things and they really are ritualistic. Yeah. Like, is there a part of most people's 
like daily lives or at least something they experience on a regular basis that that is based in the occult or has some sort of occult connection i guess it depends on where you where you live and how much you travel but like if uh like when it comes to stores how much you go out into the city but this the cities are becoming overwhelmed with it like there's a coffee shop that we where we live in this small town that's starting to have more occultic like objectively occultic elements in it like what's what's that all about so it's 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 infused itself it's infiltrated itself into just the the common way of the culture and you see um like things like there's a lot of mindsets i like to emphasize occultic mentalities occultic philosophies are starting to infiltrate people's minds even christians with things like um uh, manifesting that's that's a really big one just and it is a lot of corruption so superstition there are two kinds it's 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 occult worship so false worship is superstitious like a rabbit's foot or something but superstition is also a corruption of right worship so one thing i've seen in with within protestantism in my uh, primarily protestantism within my research is this corruption of the will when it comes to the will's power over god and sometimes catholics fall into it too where you feel like you can control god through your prayers, through your uh, devotions, but even like, and that's very, very occultic where the like, will, like a, like a Pelagianism sort of thing. Yeah. Similar. Yeah. Cause the will can cause supernatural effects. That's basically what a lot of occult is. Now you, you manipulate an energy, if you call it an energy or you are just able to, to will it. And a lot of people, a lot of Protestants will corrupt things. Jesus has said, like, um, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move over here. And then they think, they think that if they will it, if they want something you know strongly enough, then it will happen. It almost bypasses God. And then there's an occultic, there's just a subtle occultic twist. That's one of the things about the occult with the devil. It's a, the devil's deceptive whisper that it, it twists what is good just enough that we don't even see it anymore. And we go after it. And we're all kind of on the verge through pride. Pride is at the heart of all of this. We're all on the verge of this occultic mentality, but no one ever calls it that because the occult, you know, is, is usually like uh, Satanism or Wicca or witchcraft. But if you have exalted your own self above God in your everyday life through pride, well, that's occultic, essentially, if you want to make the, uh, the word really broad and what it gathers. Um, so things like that, I would say, pop up a lot in people's lives. You you can see like uh, everybody's listening to Russell Brand now, right? Like his his YouTube channel is blowing up, and I saw him. He's like, all right, Gnosticism is everywhere, man. Gnosticism, where you, it's like hidden secret knowledge, and that the that the the physical is evil and the spiritual is good, things like that. Mm-hmm. And I and I saw him actually trying to explain how all religions are the same, and you have to you have to have the inner Christ within you and all this stuff, the things he was saying, it's, I almost wanted to clip it and play a video of it and really Mm. break down that so many people that you, you see as like leaders in these, in, in the conversations of today are influenced by this Eckhart Tolle spirituality. And it's creeping into the Catholic church because I mean, even the church that my son made his confirmation at the, the head priest, like the, 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 the pastor there would actually put like Richard Rohr quotes in the bulletin every week. And it's like, it's about the ever present now and being in the moment. And that's all Eastern nonsense Mm -hmm. that you're introducing into your Catholicism. It's like, guys go back 
to get like get away from anything modern. Just go back the, into something. The parish we came back to the church in that hope was uh confirmed at and our marriage was convalidated and they had a centering prayer. Yeah. They had Catholic yoga and uh, and they had a prayer labyrinth. Mm. Yeah. It's like the unholy trifecta right there. That's Charles, did you ever look into Catholic yoga? Like, do you know anything about that? Because I really want to get into this because, <laughs> oh man, like, like I said, my wife will follow my lead and do whatever I ask, but it was a big fight when I told her you're not doing mm. yoga anymore. Oh, so you want a clip you can show her. That's I want you to show her like, look, okay. So, I mean, the way I described it was, listen, you are participating in a ritual that is a liturgy, right? So it's like, would you ever see a yogi make the sign of the cross? No. What you're doing is moving your body in liturgical fashion, and you are inviting things into your body by moving yourself in certain positions. But she, she, she found some, a clip of some woman talking about Catholic yoga, how as long as you're focusing on Jesus, this is totally fine. Very frustrating. She, she might have heard this. She's gonna be hates <laughs> when I mention her on here. That's funny. Yeah, this is a this is so it's in my book, The Rise of the Occult. And as I mentioned, I think before the show started, um, that I have a whole bunch more material I'm working on now to bring out an, another book, kind of a second part to The Rise of the Occult, and that'll have more in about yoga in it. Um, so yoga is really, really complicated. So when uh, I was, we got the, we got modernist Kennedy in um, here again, this guy, he's always preaching uh -huh. modernism. I'm just tired of Kennedy Hall and his modernism. <laughs> I know I saw it on Twitter, um, but so I had to work on, on blocking yoga from coming into the school and the kids were all about yoga. So I had to talk to, I had to do a whole bunch of research about yoga, just a really, cause they wanted a real answer, not just don't do yoga, but like, and for teenagers now who are kind of even Catholic teenagers are really secularized. I really had to dig and just give up good, good arguments. And I almost wrote a book. Um, that was one of the four or five books I was working on back in 2012, 2013 was on yoga about Catholic yoga, Christian yoga. Um, and there's this really big spectrum about yoga. So sometimes one of the things that's a, a really big cross for people is that like doctors promote yoga when they should just be saying exercise. So the word yoga has just dominated the word exercise and just, you what you need to do is do yoga and what he meant to say is what you need to do is exercise and stretch like okay that's fine <laughs> yeah so if you're if that's what you're doing don't call it yoga and don't do the the liturgical kind of things you're saying don't do it in a well, yoga studio well, I, I even right at the studio when you're doing it with a group of people that's when it's a, i said look if there's certain like if there's certain stretches that make your back feel better, I think there's nothing wrong with that. As long as you're not doing any centering prayer and oming, like if a certain position makes your, your lower back feel better because you're stretching a certain way, I don't think there's a problem with that. But when you're in a group setting and you have a yogi leading it, mm -hmm. like there's something very problematic with that. So a lot of yoga has a philosophy, an anthropology, a philosophy, a theology, a goal. It's, you're, you're trying to like, it's a, it's a selfish kind of pursuit. You're, you're trying to better yourself. Now, when you hear people who say they're just doing yoga to stretch, but then they talk about yoga empowering them. Well, that's not exercise doesn't empower you. So listen to the language people use. And so we're going to talk to someone who loves yoga. Let them talk. Let them talk and then see if there's anything in their language. Maybe there's not. And that's good. Maybe there is. And you call it out. Because and one of the things I saw a some kind of Christian yoga. And th this was one of the big points I made with the kids. Like what they did. They tried to Christianize yoga. So one of the things, it's just, it's just not how we pray. Like 
we don't we don't probably well, that's that's a, that's an aside. You have to defend that quite a bit. But this group, um, I won't use their name because they're they're a public group. But it was a Christian, a former Christian yoga. But they would travel to all these yoga conferences. All of their instructors would have to go through the Yoga Alliance training program. And a lot of Christian yoga groups will go through Yoga Alliance. It's like the big yoga training group, and you have to learn about chakras and You're all being kinds ordained. of stuff. Yeah, it's. You're just being ordained the- in a different religion, you maniac. How could you do that as a Christian? What's wrong with you? So then they got this and like, well, maybe they're just like, I'll suffer through it. I want to learn the stretches, but I'll suffer through the chakra stuff. Well, there's, there can be some brainwashing. We're not perfect. We're not that strong. We have flaws. We have breaking points. We have, we can be manipulated if we're not careful, but then All they'll go for propaganda. Yeah. yeah. But then they'll go to these yoga conferences. This is one of the points I made. Because I looked it up and they would do this. They would be in like room 201 of this com- yoga conference, 201. But in 202, just across the wall, would be like chakra goddess worship centering whatever. So just across the wall, just across this sheetrock, you have them summoning demons. And you think it's okay that you're there because you have a Christian yoga. So it's guilty by association is one of the things I say. Um yeah, so there's there's a lot you could say about about yoga, but be prudent, be rational. Like, what are you actually doing? Is it just exercise, or have you crossed? Because it's easy to cross and it's quick to cross. Because you're tapping into a power in yoga, and some people yeah. admit to it, some people don't. How have you been handling <laughs> Catholicism in 2023? <laughs> like things are a bit bananas. You got a synod coming up. Like most of the time when you go on, you're talking about spiritual, you know, you're talking about the, the occult, you're talking about your book slaying dragons, but I've really, I, I looked around, I've never seen you really get into like, has it, especially you came from the seminary. I mean, you, you left seminary in what year? 2008. Okay. So you got out before the Francis effect. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> like I have a little sister. So uh, first of all, I do have to mention this. My my little sister leaves next Monday for her postulancy with the Passionist Nuns in Kentucky. And we did a fundraiser on here. Don't even put it back up, Rob, because she met her goal. And yeah. on top of that, my uncle gave her like three grand. Like my sister is everything's paid up. Everybody that donated to my sister's Give Sengo, thank you so much. You guys have no idea. She was able to go. She leaves next Monday to go join her postulancy. So she wanted to make sure I was that I said thank you to everybody. But I like I have a sister that's going to join an order, right? So she was over last night. We were talking about it. And I'm like, the only reason I worry is that like I don't know. That's a pretty conservative traditional order. I'm a little mm. worried about what may happen. But her her what she said to me was, God's calling me there. Like if he's calling me there, he wants me there. What, no matter what's going to happen, whatever suffering is coming my way, God is calling me there. So I have to go there. But for, for you, you leave, you leave the seminary, you get married. Like how, how have you been handling the current crisis that we're in? Yeah, not an easy thing to answer. So I'm, uh, it's not fun to talk about. So chapter four and five, I think it was chapter four and five, and then later on in my book, and then in the next book, I, I tackle the church, you know, things that, that Francis has done, cardinals have done, and you know, sage smudging, Pachamama. And I bring in the quotes of Cardinal Mueller, Cardinal Burke, Cardinal Seurat. Like I asked several priests, like, should I include this chapter? Like, I don't want to, I don't want to focus on what's wrong with the church. Yeah, we but have like, a hard time with that too. It's just a question we always ask because I mean, it's something we're all dealing with, right? Like so you yeah. included a chapter in your book about, I mean, we're all going through it. So it's always something I do ask. So what did they say? Yeah. 
So he, like one priest, very prudent, very calm, very traditional, very faithful. He said, it's real. It's happening. Keep it in. And he knew that I would have written it prudently, not trying to sensationalize the whole thing. And I, I feel like I did keep it prudent. So it's, and I, but I try not to, I don't like talking about it. There's always this kind of like, uh, yeah. like stomach yeah, look, turning. We're Catholic. We love that. Yeah. We love the structure of the church, right? Like the last thing any Catholic wants to do is be upset with the hierarchy. It's a, it's a hard thing. I mean, you saw even when the O2 uh, scandals came out when the, with the Boston yeah. Globe article, it's like mo- a lot of Catholics defended them because it's like, nah, man, it's just a few bad apples. And it's like, the more we learn, we're like, Oh no, oh, what is going on? But I think in a lot of ways, a lot of good has come from the current pontificate. Like I have seen so many people take their faith more seriously mm-hmm. because of the crisis at hand that, yeah. As scary as it is, and as much as we're worried, like I have seen God work miracles in family members and conversions all around me and people going deeper into their faith and looking to tradition because they they see the instability of some of the modern things that are going on. And it's it's been a pretty awesome thing to witness as we're seeing the scariness. Yeah, what I did, so I was teaching Catholic high school, um, theology Catholic high school and they're 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 watching the news they're hearing this stuff I have to explain it I have to figure out what to say and like I don't I don't want to talk about it but I do at the same time because I'm angry and I have to explain it to them so that they don't leave the faith don't think it's silly so they realize we're in a war all this stuff how it works out but I did a deep dive 2016 2017 right before that spiritual obstacle emerged which led to the spiritual renewal which led to slaying dragons I did a deep dive into what is going on. Like, like I researched Sedevacantism, SSPX, I researched everything, the old popes, like what, what is going on? And what I eventually realized, like, it's too big for me. I can't figure out what is happening, but I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to hunker down with the old popes, as I call it. I'm going to hunker down with tradition. That was before the Latin mass came to my area, came to me, like it was already there, but I just couldn't get to it. But, and that was super refreshing. I learned so much stuff. And that again, paved the way for learning so much stuff from Father Ripperker and these other exorcists because, and, and that stabilized me, that enriched me, that made me uh, like purified my conscience, made me take the faith mm-hmm. more seriously, see, you know, what's good and what's evil, what's true and what's false much more clearly. Step out of the fog, step out of the deception. So I think in that sense, it's it's a, a godsend. It is. I'm telling you, like, I think that... um I think, like you said, like that stuff is really too big for us. And I don't think it's our role to have an answer for that. I think that we just need to all have a little bit of humility about the situation right now and just let God, let things play out, God. Like the the, the thing that I see is people having conversions in my life that I never thought would. I see even this whole thing with my brother-in-law, like we're going away together and like we're, we're going with just my family, my wife's sister's family, because he wants to talk to me about God. Uh-huh. Like that's that's really why we're going and he wants me to explain to him the christian story and it's it's something that like i never in a million years would have thought could happen and it's and it's something that's going to happen and it's it's like i also kind of have to package the the like the um uh, i guess you would say like a 
a qualifier like hey look i'm telling you all this it's a little crazy inside the church right now (laughs) you know it's a little nuts but this stuff is true and it's like it's Mm -hmm. not up to us to answer all of these questions you just have to leave room for god to work and i do think god's going to answer all this stuff i don't know i don't think anybody knows i think even like the 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 hardline settees that think like oh this is this this is a vatican two sack things like that's like Mm -hmm. guys you don't know we're all confused right now like we really are so which is why i think i can have a good conversation with a guy like trent horn because i think that he holds a perfectly valid acceptable opinion during this time it's like like how could you ever say following and being loyal to the pope is not an acceptable position how can you say going to the liturgy promulgated by the hierarchy of the church which would be the novus ordo is not an acceptable thing of course it is mm-hmm. this is this is this is the the roadmap God gave us, but I also can understand the people that say this can't possibly be the Church of Christ Institute because look how haywire it is. And I think yeah. that anybody going into this with a, a genuine seeking, a genuine seeking of Christ, and just to be faithful to Him, I think that there's a lot of leeway in in the people we can consider brothers in Christ right now. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I think like we're all confused, like you just said, and I think. I think this is a gift. Like a lot of people have been talking like, are we in the end times? Or are we in, in a type of the end times? Is this the spirit of deception or is it a type? Are we in like the final type before the real thing? And if we are, then then this is this is a godsend because it's forcing us to 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 understand the truth perfectly, as perfectly as we can, like to, to dig back to all the teachings because the deception that's going to come is going to deceive most Christians. Most Christians are going to yeah. fall for whatever it is. So if we hunker down now, if we fortify our, our faith now, and we are alive for the end times, because someone's going to be, one generation will see the Antichrist. It could be us, maybe not. But if it is us and we're fortified now through this test, then we will pass the final test. So in that sense, we should thank God that we're being put through this, this trial. Yeah, Jesus literally says that, the things will get so confused that even the elect will be fooled, right? Yeah. Like he, he really says that even the elect will be fooled. So anybody that goes in so confident that they understand what's going on, it's like, you better chill. Like, you don't know, like, like I am afraid to say one way or the other. I'm, I'm just trying to really just say, okay, I don't know anything. So let me, let me just, let me just be Catholic and try to live a holy life. Right. Like just, just, yeah. just try to be holy. Just um, realize what, yeah, realize what we do need to know is the truths. We don't need to know what's happening in the world, what it all means. We need to know that Jesus is God, the Blessed Trinity, the Church, the sacraments. We need to know the faith. We need to know the stories of, of salvation. And that will anchor us through whatever storm's coming. Do you have any uh, personal favorite devotions that you do, bes- like besides the rosary? Because I think everybody tries to do their daily rosary. Are there any other like little things that you, you've been trying to pick up on your daily spiritual life? Oh, I, I try to get the Angelus. I really like that little break. It, it's short, sweet, and it focuses on the incarnation. And the incarnation is a huge theme in my book, The Rise of the Occult, that, just, that God entered our world, you know, God himself yeah. to, to present himself to us, to ritually through sacrament, sacramentals, like the incarnation is so important. And like uh, the Magi, that mystery, you know, the star appealing to the to the pagans, like the incarnation is appealing to the pagans. We have to get it to them. So that, and then I've been picking up the uh, liturgy of the hours more like just the last couple of weeks. Cause I, I did it, you know, for like nine years or eight years when I was in seminary mode yeah. and it was just, it had this rhythm. It's peaceful. It's nurturing. You're steeped in scripture. And I kind of put it aside just cause it was hard to keep up. 
you know, it's 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 so beautiful when you're at a, when you're in an area where a church still rings the Angelus bells. Like when mm-hmm. I, when I'm in Manhattan or something, uh, um, uh, Holy Innocence still rings the Angelus bells. But those bells would ring everywhere at one point. It was like everybody yeah. would pray the Angelus at twelve o'clock every day, and we don't do that anymore. Kennedy Hall told a, a awesome little catechetical tidbit on his show the other day. I never knew why we pray the. Uh, the John one at the end of mass mm-hmm. and the traditional mass. I never realized that he said it was because of a Gnostic heresy in the 12th century that they were denying like the, uh, the, the incarnation or they were denying something. So Albigen, Albigensianism, Catharism. Cathars, right. It was the Cathars. So <laughs> we we added it to the end of the mass. And when you say the word became flesh, you kneel down to to reflect on the fact that the incarnation happened, the word became flesh, and it's something that stuck with and, and that's really a development of doctrine. That's like a proper development of doctrine, right? Or mm-hmm. a development of practice, maybe not doctrine, yeah, but liturgy. It's like yeah. it's yeah, it's like it's such a beautiful organic growth to the liturgy. And even with the Saint Michael prayer at the end of the liturgy, these are the mm-hmm. things that like should be happening that aren't happening. But when whenever I hear little things like that, they're always awesome to you know, just throw in your memory bank that you could tell those to people once in a while. Are you, are you tired, Charles? Because you told me after one hour you were <laughs> passing out. I'm a morning person. Yes, I tend to fade like around nine. <laughs> My mind just kind of starts to shut off, but you're, you're keeping it going, you know. What, what time do you usually get up in the morning? Oh, anywhere from uh, what time? Around five, I try to. Uh, I used to get up much like 4.30 or 4 to do a lot of work yeah, in the morning. I like to be I'm awake up, when the world is quiet. I'm up at like 4. I get up my first my first alarm goes over three fifty and I hit snooze and then I'm out of bed by four oh five. Okay, wow. And then I gotta head in and I I work a day job in construction, so I'm usually in the city by uh by four. I mean uh by like five fifteen. Wait, somebody's asking uh, Anthony, why don't you have brother Peter Diamond on? (laughs) Oh, I don't know. I don't really want to. Uh, Paul Paul had a question, right, Rob? I want to make sure we get to the questions people had. Uh, question for Charles. There are some critics who say Pachamama was just imprudent depiction of Our Lady. How would you respond to that? Yeah. Um, <laughs> that would be a really big problem if it was. I mean, because it was a disgusting uh, disgusting image. What did you say there? Oh. Um, yeah, I have in my next book, in the, the second part, you know, the, the next 400 pages I'm going through that were supposed to be in Rise of the Occult, I have... Um, I think it was Car- it was um, Bishop Schneider wrote an article. So Cardinal Burke called it out as an idol. Bishop Schneider called it out as an idol. Bishop Schneider uh, wrote an article. Francis called it Pachamama, guys. Yeah, and Pachamama is a is a deity, is a, a fertility goddess. Mm-hmm. And as one exorcist told me, wherever you find a fertility goddess, you find a, a god of death who goes with it. Mm-hmm. And there are these cults that are around Pachamama where they offer sacrifices to Pachamama, including food and things. But there was one a couple of years ago where they sac- tried to sacrifice a man that made <laughs> international news because they drugged him and buried him alive as a sacrifice to Pachamama. And he woke up and unearthed himself and then was bloody and dirty and ran to the, you know, people saw him and made the news. And so, uh, but he interviewed Kurt, um, Bishop Schneider collected a whole bunch of um, bishops' comments from South America, where Pachamama lives, you know, and thrives, and how just evil it is, and how destructive and terrible it was that they paraded this thing in. They eventually made a Pachamama coin. I mean, they hunkered down. That mm. the, the Vatican, I mean, made a Pachamama yeah. coin. Like they, they, you know, dug their boots in on it. Listen, I, idol worship 
from the people of God is not unheard of. It has been done throughout salvation history. Yeah. It's nothing that like you got like I'm 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 past the point where I'm gonna pretend up is down, and I'm past the point where I'm gonna pretend a man in a dress is a woman. I'm just not gonna do it, right? Like so it doesn't mean um it doesn't mean the church is defected. It doesn't mean any of that. It means that we have a lot of unfaithful people. That's what it is. And if you go through the story of salvation history, you see the people of the old covenant specifically, there's a lot of unfaithfulness. And anytime yeah. there's unfaithfulness, God comes and chastises the people and gets their act in order. So I'm just expecting God to do what he always does and mm -hmm. chastise his people and get their act together. Yeah. And of course, you know, uh, Spachma was October 2019, a week after I published Slaying Dragons. Was that really? Oh, oh wow. wow. Yeah. Wow. That's that? pretty wild. And um, then, uh, so, Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Finish. Yeah. That. And then those exorcists, um, it was in November or October, November, they called on the whole church to fast and pray by mm -hmm. December 6th because they had discerned that this had empowered a certain demon in the life of the church and we needed to act against it. And they said, it didn't, I don't think it, they said it didn't work, but then COVID came right after it and everybody was pointing like, there's your punishment. And Sister Sasagawa, I think from, from the Akita, um, Visions right. had a first vision of Mary right after that. Also, like there was so many things that happened. Um, so today I actually I wrote um, a lot of people think I put it on Twitter. I said a lot of people think a guy like Taylor Marshall radicalized me, but it wasn't Taylor Marshall. It was Kimberly Hahn. So mm -hmm. and, and I'm not kidding about that. There, there's uh, I forgot what the what the topic of the talk was, but Kimberly Hahn gave a talk years ago, years and years ago. Like you're talking like probably 2016 or tw it was. Very like right when I it was I left the church after Morris Letizia for about a year and then I came back and right when I came back I was listening to a Kimberly Hahn talk and she said this one phrase in the talk that like jarred me and she just said uh, she goes do we believe this stuff or do we believe this stuff like if you do believe it then you have to do and she wasn't talking about the thing that woke me up it was so I actually oh man. I was doing something that I shouldn't have been doing. I was playing cafeteria Catholicism. But when Kimberly said, do we believe this stuff or not? Something in me, like my conscience just jarred me. And it was like, I am a fraud. Like I am not living out what I need to be living out. And I got that thing out of my life. It wasn't a personal thing. It was a thing between me and my wife. I told it on the locals once. I'm not going to share it publicly. Mm -hmm. And it was like, it just snapped me into like really taking my faith seriously. So it wasn't Taylor Marshall. It was Kimberly Hahn. So you never know where or who God is going to use to wake a person up. Yeah. Yeah. That's why I think a lot of people are benefiting from all these podcasters because we, we need to be interacting. We need a community. A lot of people feel cut off and they don't have good stories, good inspirations. So that's always, so true. Yeah. I mean, when I, so every once in a while, Rob and I will catch a comment and somebody will say something like, hey, I, I went back to confession because of listening to your show. And yeah. I, Rob said, wait, because you listen to our show, you needed to confess? <laughs> <laughs> We've gotten that comment, too. <laughs> <laughs> it goes both ways, I guess. They fell into mortal sin from listening to us. But no, it's just um, there's there's it's just you never know how God's going to use things and and you do always see God in hindsight and stuff. So Charles, this is a very yeah, speaking, uh, very, speaking oh, ahead, of podcast. What, what is your YouTube channel? Oh Charles? yeah. Let's get into that. Yeah. What do we have to promote? That's right. Um, so I have, it's called um, the slaying dragons apostolate is how you find me on YouTube. That's the name of the channel slaying dragons apostolate. That's kind of the overarching thing that I do. 
Uh, I'm trying to load more and more things. I, I don't have all that much time to, I'm not tech savvy. So I'm trying to make some videos because people enjoy it. They want this information. Um, but then my, my main website, as you were mentioning, is uh, slayingdragonspress.com. So slayingdragonspress.com is where you can buy books from me. I put my articles there. Um, and uh, of course, my books are on Amazon too. But if you want to get it directly from me and support me, and I can also sign the book happily, uh, you can go there. But And I'm also on Twitter, as we've talked about, Facebook. And I'm trying to do Instagram, but I'm no good at Instagram. So what would you say to someone who's interested in the traditional mass, but it's not available in their area? I mean, Rob's in that situation, right? Like, it's just, yeah. look, it's it's not anybody's fault that the bishops promulgated the Novus Ordo mass. It's not, mm-hmm. right? So I, I would say, look, you you try to, you be as reverent as you can. um, And... Uh, maybe pick up a personal devotion the best you can. Like, it, guys, it's not your fault that there is no Latin mass near you. So, like, mm-hmm. if anybody's out there shaming you because you go to the Novus Ordo, that's awful. Like, that's wrong. Like, that's you know, it's what what I what I tend to do, and it's it's harder now with the kids. Is um, I like to take my my Latin mass missile along mm-hmm. and and read that through the mass as if that was the mass happening before me, you know, reading all the prayers of the priest. Uh, yeah. Maybe do a know, little prayers at the foot of the altar. Um, you know, all of that, that, that you don't get in the Novus Ordo mm-hmm. that way. It, it, it keeps at the front of my mind that that's, that it is the sacrifice of the Holy mass, even if it's not everything that it should be. Um, George, well, uh, Charles, <laughs> who said George? Why St. George? St. George, the patron of this channel. Um, why did you call it slaying dragons, Charles? Yeah, um, I don't really know. It just kind of came to me I was, when I was deciding, like, what am I going to call this book? Um, it was like the first thought was just slaying dragons. I must have heard it somewhere or I don't know. It didn't take much deliberation, thankfully. because <laughs> the book title is really important. It's got to be catchy. Um, I love it. I think it's a great yeah. name because, look, the, like even you think about the symbolism of a dragon. You want to know what's funny? Like, uh. You ever listen to Jonathan Peugeot? Um, Jonathan yeah, Peugeot does a lot of symbolism stuff, and he talks about the, the the movie How to Train Your Dragon, and he calls it parasitic storytelling. <clears throat> and like he'll talk about uh, even the story of Shrek. Like, so it used to be in a story you would have like Beauty and the Beast, where the beast was this monster, and then you know something happens with true love, and he becomes a true man. Where when you look at the story of Shrek, it's the opposite, right? Like to become her true self, she becomes an ogre. Mm, now, yeah. how to how to train your dragon? Like dragons are dangerous thing. You're supposed to slay dragons. You don't train them and tame them. Like that's not what you're supposed to do. And we see this all throughout our culture now with the way stories are told. It's actually parasitic storytelling where mm-hmm. it's inverted every single story we tell in our culture where every single um, hero we've had from the past. So every one of these remakes you see with Indiana Jones, what do they do? They, they make Indiana Jones, this awful man. So a woman can replace him. They did the same thing with um, Wolverine in that last X-Men movie where Wolverine, he becomes an old man and he dies. And the girl, little girl becomes the one they did it with the green Knight. Green Knight is an amazing medieval story. It has to do with King mm-hmm. Arthur. And at the end of this movie, which was such a good movie up until the end, when they kill the Green Knight and a woman takes his place and puts the crown on, they're just uh, destroying our culture through this parasitic storytelling. It's crazy. Yeah, there's a book called uh, Landscape. I think it's called Landscape with Dragons. 
I think it was Michael O'Brien, but he talked about, it could be completely wrong, but he talked about this, the importance of the symbolism, that in Christian symbolism, the dragon is evil. We need mm -hmm. to preserve that in storytelling. A lot of modern storytelling is twisting that, making the dragon a, a good thing. And you see that also with, um, and that was in the interviews with some former occultists from my book. They were talking about the symbolism in the culture, like these anti-heroes are taking the stage, just like what you were saying. Yeah, and It's destructive of, of what the culture, what the Christian culture stands for and how the Christianity should be infusing our culture. It's presenting a whole new mythology, a whole new um symbolism into our imagination which is yeah how to train your dragon doesn't just train the dragons what happens is by the third movie what you see is the dragons are good and humans are evil and they do this throughout all stories now right like every story you mm. see they anthropomorphize the animals where they become like human-like and they're the good one like you saw it in avatar Avatar, the aliens oh, yeah. are the good ones and the humans are evil. And it's, they're really brainwashing people. And we've talked before about like, we're all susceptible to propaganda. You just don't realize you're being subtly brainwashed by these things. It, mm -hmm. it, it I mean, it happened with the Barbie movie that was just released where men are bad and women are good. It's just to be everywhere. fair, they started that with Dances with Wolves back 30, yeah, you know, years mm -hmm. ago. Yeah, but that's probably where it started, right? I mean, you're talking about after the 60s revolution, and that's where all this stuff started getting flipped. I mean, they were trying to perform a cultural upheaval and a cultural revolution. It's just they took the long game, and they started off with telling twisted stories. It's yeah. crazy. Yeah. Yeah, and it's and it's playing out in the, the, the uh, what is it, Cardinal Mueller said, the, the Gnostic mythology that's of the just the sexual deviant culture, which is uh, definitely Gnostic because it's like the, the body is bad. The spirit is good with this whole gender, you know, mutilation surgeries. I'm trying to use like YouTube friendly language here. That really is what it is. It's Gnosticism, right? It's like, it's, mm -hmm. it's so weird because they'll sit there and they'll tell you there's no God, but then they tell you they have a soul that's born in the wrong body. Right. It's a weird thing, right? Like my, yeah. my soul was born. I'm a, I'm a woman in my soul, but I, I've been a man's body. It's like, wait a minute. Now you have a soul. So you're saying there's a God, but, and, the, and then you take the body positivity movement, right? Like, so you have all these obese women telling them I'm beautiful the way I am. But then you go and tell little kids to cut their, mm -hmm. their, I don't get it. It's, it's, we are so coming apart at the seams right now. It's so crazy. Yeah. Yeah. I, I tweeted, I think it was a tweet a while, a couple weeks ago. Like, is this really how it's going to go down? Like, is this the absurdity that's going to destroy the world? Like, what we're witnessing like this is just ridiculous i'm telling you that that's but i really think that that gives us as catholics a, a really good opportunity to evangelize because when when things are so crazy people are attuned to the truth and and, and the problem is they're catching they catch glimpses of it like especially you see it with that manosphere stuff so you're seeing all these young men being a being attracted to the Andrew Tates and the, the red pill stuff because they're hearing little bits of truth about, you know, because feminism mm. has caused a lot of rot, but what they're not hearing is that it, it's, it's, they're hearing feminism, bad feminism, bad feminism, bad. And then they take it out and then you're seeing it affect marriages and stuff because these men are hearing this toxic ideology from these men but what they're not hearing is a woman will naturally want to follow a man with integrity that's a good man. Like it's just what's going to happen. If you if if you are a good man, your wife will naturally want to follow and you won't have to tell her anything. She'll just there's nothing that my wife actually said to me, like, there's no greater freedom in 
than knowing that I have a husband who I can put my trust in mm -hmm. that, that cares about my soul more than anything. That if I say something, she knows I'm not saying it to lord it over her. I say it because I care for her soul because I see myself as the priest of her soul because that's what a father is. The father is, and a husband is the priest of his family's souls. And if you don't take that role seriously, I mean, especially in a time when we have no priests, right? Like, mm -hmm. We have no priests. Like, men, you better step your game up. I don't care what, what happened with feminism. Like, you have such a responsibility right now to care for the souls of the people around you. Don't you dare blame feminism. Blame yourself. Yeah, and Pope Pius, I think it was Pope Pius XII, had some really strong language that he used for um, the powerful priestly role that, that husbands have in the, in the family. It's, of course, mirrors sacred scripture, but he even uses the word episcopal. Like we have an Episcopal office, essentially, yeah. within the family. It's very priestly. Like it's it's strong and there's no embellishment. There's no um, unpacking of that happening in, in the current culture, except for a lot of exorcists focus on it. The authority of the father in the home when it comes to spiritual warfare. I mean, listen, Robert, you're right. We do need more manly priests. But what I'm telling you is, I'm listen, if you guys had any idea of the prayer experience I had recently, like it was like God, like really, really in like pressed upon my mind and soul and being how much authority I had as mm. a husband and father. It was like, I I'm telling you, I just felt like, like such a, a responsibility, like, Oh my goodness. Like every conversation I have with my kids is important. Like everything yeah. you say to your wife is important. You can't just like, it was just like, you have a real priestly authority in your home if you if you if you are following god's commands and it's like yeah okay we're lacking that in the ordained priesthood right now but we're still getting the sacraments and now it's time for men to really step up their role and be the stop blaming the church that they don't catechize your children like you are the first catechist in your home yeah and we have re we have access to all the resources that we need i mean sacramentals are hard to come by but they you can get creative and have friends ship them to you if you don't have priests yeah. will bless it yourself but, but yeah um what was i going to say yeah studies back it up the, the 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 fact that the kids will follow the father in the faith the father specifically so we have to lead by that and and they will stay in the church if we catechize them and stay in the church ourselves yeah, we got to stop complaining about what is going on in the church and start being the domestic church. It's a very important thing that I think that I, I'm really getting tired of hearing about how feminism is the problem. Like, yeah, mm -hmm. okay, feminism is the problem. We know it infiltrated the church. We know that you have all these problems, but like, I want to, I want to get men to be men. Like, let's just really, and not talking about masks. Oh, I'm such a man. I go to the gym. It's none of that. It's a spiritual authority that you hold that you really have to take seriously. And, and, and I don't know. I, I know God wants us to do something with that, Rob. I haven't figured it out yet, though. <laughs> we'll have to work on that. But, Charles, this is such a fun conversation, man. Like, I, I, I we're definitely getting you back on. Um, yeah. If you have anything you want to promote, reach out to me. You shoot me a text. I promise you I'll, I'll shoot it out there for you. We're going to promote your uh, YouTube channel. If you want to have us on your channel to help build your channel up a little bit, we'll come on and talk with you. Whatever yeah. you want to do, man. I think like, mm. oh, go ahead, Rob. I was just going to say, I just realized because I bought and read the first Slaying Dragons and Charles was nice enough to send a, a copy for this, that uh, we can make this a trivia prize next week, too. Ooh. Okay. Yeah, so you guys are going to get, um, this is an awesome documentary on Eucharistic Miracles, Science Test Faith, and you'll get a copy of Slaying Dragons. But yeah, Charles, I like the, 
everybody that we get on this show, like we're really trying to build actual friendships here. Like, I don't want this to be like a one-time thing and then whatever. Like I, I want to really start building each other up, helping each other out so that like, we, like, I feel like men don't have male positive male friendships anymore, man. It's like such a lacking thing. Oh yeah. Yeah. I definitely agree. And unfortunately a lot, it has to be virtual for a lot of people, but virtual is better than nothing because ideas are very powerful and you can transmit ideas through these conversations mm -hmm. and then incorporate that into your own life. Conversations are so important, man. So, mm -hmm. um, yeah, anything you need to promote, you guys shoot, you shoot us a text and me and Rob will help you out with it. If you want us to come on, we'll come on. We'll have a conversation on your channel. Yeah. Um, anything I'm missing. Oh guys, go buy rise of the occult, his second book or slaying dragons or both. Yeah, both. That's right. Both good books. I'm going to start digging into them. I do much better with audiobooks. I'm going to have to buy the audiobook and maybe I'll give my copy away too. It's it's coming out. Well, I got the audio already out for Slaying Dragons, but the um, audio is coming out in the next couple months before Rise of the Occult. So stay tuned. And okay. And then Thursday, Rob and I have Keith Nestor. Actually, yep. tomorrow we're on the Return of the King podcast. We are. So tomorrow night we're on the Return of the King podcast. Uh, they're a smaller show, but so many people came on our show as we were coming up that we were like, you have you have to help mm -hmm. guys out. Like guys mm -hmm. were generous to us. We're going to do the same thing. So they have a podcast called Return of the King. When I get that link, I'll send that out to everybody. Thursday, we have Keith Nestor. Saturday, Gavin Ashenden. And Tuesday, Trent Horn. Mm -hmm. And we're going to try to bring the trad side and the conservative side together for a good conversation. And we're going to really try to actually like have like meaningful conversations with people. Yeah. Man, that's so important. <laughs> it's good. It's good. So, Charles, thank you so much, man. Thank you for coming on. This is a great conversation. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you guys for having me on and I'll be in touch with uh, new things coming up and have you on my show if I really have a show, but yeah, I like <laughs> if I can get that I moving. I just want to help promote anything you got. If there's anything yeah. we can do to help, we'll try to help you. So great. Uh, Appreciate all it. Right, Rob, take us out, bro. This goes out to all you men out there who are inclined to submit yourself to the lowest faculties in the most pathetic manner. You effeminate man think you were created in order to consume endless amount of pleasure without any consequences? Put your damn video games and smartphones down and pick up something heavy. Do something arduous for once. Pray daily. Submit yourself under the interior discipline. Learn a trade. Buy some land. Get married and have lots of kids so that may you one day raise a generation of virtuous warriors. Learn the rules of the retrograde. Go with y'all. <laughs>